Hi, I'm Stephen Kotowicz. Welcome to Tesla, The Life and Times. Episode 2, School Days, 1861-1874 Our last episode introduced Tesla, his family, and his early years growing up on the rural frontier of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. This week, we'll press through and cover Tesla's schooling from the time he first enrolled in primary school right up until he heads off for engineering school in the late 1870s. It's a major turning point in Tesla's life, and it makes sense to break there until next time. We start today in 1861, a year of change, both great and small. On January 1st, the forces of Benito Juarez captured Mexico City, bringing to an end the three-year civil war in Mexico known as the Reform War. Peace was not to last, however. Before the year was out, Mexico would be invaded by the Second French Empire, supported by the United Kingdom and Spain. In the United States, in reaction to the election of Abraham Lincoln the prior November, the Confederate States of America were formed on February 8, 1861, with the issuance of a provisional constitution and the election of Jefferson Davis as their provisional president ten days later. In April, the long-simmering Civil War finally began with the bombardment of Fort Sumter, South Carolina. Elsewhere in America, the famed Pony Express announced its closure on October 26th, two days after that disruptive 19th century technology, the transcontinental telegraph, reached Salt Lake City, connecting existing telegraph networks in the eastern United States to a network in California. At its height, the Pony Express could deliver a letter from the Atlantic coast to the Pacific coast in 10 days. The telegraph could send the same message almost instantaneously. On the other side of the world, serfdom was abolished in the Russian Empire. The Kingdom of Italy was proclaimed, with Victor Emmanuel II of Piedmont Sardinia becoming its king. In Germany, the first complete identified remains of Archaeopteryx were discovered. Archaeopteryx is a genus of bird-like dinosaurs that marks a transitional stage between feathered dinosaurs and modern birds. Born in 1861 were... Indian writer and Nobel Prize laureate Rabindranath Tagore, Frederick Hopkins, an English biochemist who won the Nobel Prize for the co-discovery of vitamins, and who we can only assume is the patron saint of the nutritional supplement industry, William Wrigley Jr., the U.S. chewing gum industrialist for whom Wrigley Field is named, Go Cubs, and James Naismith, the Canadian-born inventor of basketball, Go Raptors. 1861 saw the deaths of English poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Zhang Feng, ninth emperor of China's Qing dynasty, and Prince Albert, husband of Queen Victoria. 1861 was also a year of change for Nikola Tesla. He would be uprooted from everything he'd ever known when his family made a sudden move from the country to the city, and it was also when he would begin to develop the powers of will and self-control that would be so important to his success in later life. In 1861, Tesla attended primary school in Smilian, where he studied German, math, and religion. After just a year there, Tesla was uprooted when his father, still distraught from the loss of his favorite son Dane, moved the family to Gospisch, a small city near Smilian, where Milioten received an appointment as pastor of the onion-domed Church of the Great Martyr George. 
There, Millington preached for the next 16 years and also took a post teaching religion at the local high school. But while he continued his pastoral duties, with the death of Dane, the fire had gone out of Millington, and he never recovered. His writing and activism withered. Soon, the locals were calling him Old Man Milovan behind his back. Tesla would later refer to this move to Gospish as a calamity for him. And having suffered through a traumatic move of my own in the middle of high school, in my case going from a city to the countryside rather than the reverse as Tesla did, I can sympathize with what a shock the sudden change of everything and everyone he'd ever known must have been for little Nicola. He had grown up close to nature and lamented leaving behind the family's pigeons. The love of pigeons was a constant in Tesla's life, as we'll come to see later, as well as his chickens, sheep, and a flock of geese. Accustomed as he was to the open country and high mountains, being surrounded by the built environment of the city was a strangeness he had difficulty dealing with. At first, avoidance was his strategy. He didn't want to leave the house, and says he felt, quote, a prisoner there, peering out at the city folk through the blinds. Whenever he could, Nicola would slip work clothes over his dress clothes and go wandering in the woods. Nowhere in his own writing does Tesla talk of friends made during this period of his life, but his first biographer, John J. O'Neill, recounts one event in the company of some boys that left a deep impression on young Nicola. The friends were hiking in the mountains one winter day. After making snowmen and snow forts, some things seem universal in a wintry childhood regardless of era, they took to rolling snowballs down the mountain. Most of the snowballs didn't get far. Some rolled a few feet, grew larger, and then bogged down and stopped. One, however, rolled until it was a large ball and then spread out, stretching lengthwise like a giant carpet being rolled up. If any of you remember the movie Willow, I sort of picture this like the scene where Mad Mardigan comes rolling down the mountain wrapped in a kind of snow tube. Mad Mardigan! What the hell happened up there? This growing snow log gained enough speed and mass that it triggered an avalanche. The great tidal wave of snow raced down the steep slope, stripping the mountainside of snow, trees, rocks, and anything else it could carry with it. The avalanche landed in the valley below, shaking the mountain and terrifying the boys who feared the snow higher above them, might come crashing down too and bury them. Though apparently no harm was done except to the mountain itself, witnessing this avalanche left a profound mark on Tesla, and he dwelled on it again and again in later life. Seeing a snowball start such a devastating event convinced him of the tremendous forces stored up in nature that can be released by small triggering events. The search for such triggers influenced many of his later experiments. Unlike his biographers, Tesla is actually kind of down on himself about this period in his life. Up to the age of eight years, he writes in his biography, my character was weak and vacillating. I had neither courage nor strength to form a firm resolve. My feelings came in waves and surges and vibrated unceasingly between extremes. I was oppressed by thoughts of pain in life and death and religious fear. I was swayed by superstitious belief and lived in constant dread of the spirit of evil of ghosts and ogres and other unholy monsters of the dark. Then, all at once, there came a tremendous change which altered the course of my whole existence. That change came in the form of books. A book? That's right. When I was your age, television was called books. By his own account, Tesla was a voracious reader, to the point where his father hid candles for fear of Nicola damaging his eyesight by reading all night long. 
and would, quote, fly into a rage whenever he discovered Nicola disobeying. Apparently, ever-resourceful Nicola, who never seemed to have needed much sleep at any point in his life, took to making his own tallow candles and reading on the sly until the crack of dawn. At some point, Tesla happened upon the novel Abafi, or The Son of Abba, a Serbian translation of a story by well-known Hungarian writer Miklos Josika. First published in 1854, the book tells the story of a Hungarian knight, Abafi, as he transforms from an evil, selfish, and capricious man to a kind, noble, and selfless one, who searches for true love and who doesn't shy away from hard life decisions. Eventually, Abafi sacrifices his life for his prince and his country. Uh, oh, oops, spoilers, sorry. This work somehow awakened my dormant powers of will, Tesla writes, and I began to practice self-control. This is a claim that is partly true. While Tesla may have begun to smarten up, as we'll see in some upcoming episodes, his self-control wasn't 100% just yet. Along with this book, Tesla credited his early affliction, the intrusive lights and images he'd been subjected to for years, with helping to shape his worldview. Objects that appeared in his vision, he noted, were, quote, always preceded by an actual vision of scenes under peculiar and generally very exceptional conditions. In time, after what he called the incessant mental exertion of trying to control these images, he came to believe that just as they were apparently caused by external stimuli, every thought and action humans have was prompted solely by external stimuli. In the course of time, Tesla claimed, it became perfectly evident to me that I was merely an automaton endowed with power of movement, responding to the stimuli of the sense organs, and thinking and acting accordingly. As we'll see, in practice Tesla didn't cling 100% to this radical denial of free will and human agency throughout the course of his life or his writings, but it certainly formed a significant part of his outlook on life and the world, particularly at such a young age. In fact, he credited this meat-machine view of humanity, uh, his words, not mine, as the inspiration for his later pioneering experiments in the field of telautomatics, what we would call radio control. Though these experiments, like so many of Tesla's, were abandoned before being fully explored or commercialized, in his autobiography he wrote that he had been, quote, planning self-controlled automata and that mechanisms can be produced which will act as if possessed of reason to a limited degree and will create a revolution in many commercial and industrial departments. Nicola completed primary school at age 10 and was enrolled in the Lower Real Gymnasium, about equivalent to junior high in North America, and where both his father and uncle taught. Perhaps unsurprisingly, mathematics was his favorite subject. Thanks to his ability to visualize objects, when given a problem in integral calculus, Tesla didn't require pen and paper or a trip to the blackboard to work out the answer. Up to a certain degree of complexity, he said, he could simply envision the problem and all the operations and symbols required to work out the solution. Avoiding the need to write out each step saved time, and meant that he could give the solution almost as quickly as the problem was stated. Again, perhaps unsurprisingly, his teachers at first believed he might be cheating. Remember, Tesla didn't really describe his abilities to anyone except his mother until much later in life. Eventually, however, they came to believe they simply had a very gifted student. And perhaps for the first time, Tesla began to see a value and usefulness to his ability to envision things with such realism. This helped reduce his anxiety about it, as he worked to bring it under his full control. 
In addition to math, Tesla found it easy, like his father had, to acquire foreign languages, and in addition to his native Serbian, he became proficient in German, French, and Italian. Later, he would add English to the list. One area where Tesla did not excel, however, was the required drawing class. This was surprising even to Tesla himself, since other members of his family could draw quite well. He attributed his difficulty to his preference for undisturbed thought, and to being left-handed in his youth. He was ambidextrous later in life. His grades in drawing were so low that his father had to intercede with the school authorities in order for them not to flunk poor Nikola. Perhaps it's not surprising that, as we'll see in later episodes, Tesla mostly avoided making drawings throughout his career as an inventor, even when they might have helped convey his ideas to other people. Even at this young age, Tesla's interest in engineering and mechanical things was evident, but his school provided no technical courses. Nevertheless, Tesla became proficient in both woodworking and metalwork as he tinkered on his own projects outside school hours. It was around this time that in his biography, Tesla reports telling an uncle, prophetically, that someday he would go on to America and harness Niagara Falls to produce power. The impetus was apparently an exhibition in his school of some model water wheels. These reminded Tesla of a small water wheel he'd built in a stream back in the hills of Smilyan, and having seen pictures of Niagara Falls, he put two and two together, and... And, well, I'm skeptical. Now... It's entirely possible that this might have happened or could have happened, but it's just a little too cute for me, and seems a bit of retrospective burnishing of his reputation and achievements. I'll leave it to you to decide whether you believe Tesla on this point. Tesla graduated the real gymnasium in Gospisch in 1870, at the age of 14. In his biography, Tesla rather offhandedly comments that not long after his graduation, he was, quote, prostrated with a dangerous illness, or rather, a score of them, his condition so grave that he was given up for dead by his physicians. It was during his convalescence that Tesla recounts being given a few volumes from the local public library, including the early work of Mark Twain. So profound was the effect of Twain's work that Tesla credited it with what he described as a miraculous recovery from illness. The book was so unlike anything I had ever read before and so captivating, Tesla writes, that it made me forget utterly my hopeless state. The timeline here is pretty tight for Tesla to have encountered Mark Twain's work, but it's not impossible. Twain's first book, The Innocents Abroad, his hilarious and irreverent chronicle of a trip taken by land and sea through Europe and the Holy Land with a group of American tourist pilgrims, was only published in the United States a year earlier, in 1869. As this was the start of Twain's career, he had nothing like the fame and notoriety he would enjoy in later years. However, The Innocents Abroad was an immediate bestseller, and was the best-selling of Twain's work during his lifetime, and because of inconsistent copyright laws on either side of the Atlantic, piracy of literary works back and forth between the United States and Great Britain was fairly common and essentially not illegal. So, it's possible that a copy, perhaps pirated, of the Innocents Abroad, made its way somehow to the public library in the little Croatian town of Gospisch. If the copy that Tesla read was in the original English, it makes the story all the more possible. Regardless, this story of miraculous recovery is the one that Tesla recounted to Mark Twain himself when they met some 25 years later in New York City, 
both at the height of their fame and fortune. Hassel recalls his amazement that Twain burst into tears when he heard the tale. The two were fast friends, and remained so for the rest of Twain's life. Tesla continued his studies in the city of Karlovac, or Karlstad, in Croatia, attending school at the Higher Real Gymnasium, about equivalent to college or university in North America. He lived there with an aunt, Stanka, and uncle, the ex-army Colonel Brankovic. As with his previous move, it wasn't a happy time for Tesla. His aunt, from the sounds of it, was a curious woman. I was fed like a canary bird, Tesla later complained. All the meals were of the highest quality and deliciously prepared, but short in quantity by a thousand percent. The slices of ham cut by my aunt were like tissue paper. I had a voracious appetite and suffered like Tantalus. His uncle would try to slip Nicola more substantial portions, only to have them snatched away by his wife. Be careful, she would caution him. Nico is very delicate. No fortress in time of war was under a more rigid discipline, Tesla would write of his time in the Brankovich house. In addition, Karlovac was in low, marshy country, rife with mosquitoes, and Tesla contracted malaria, from which he suffered off and on for years. Occasionally, the nearby river would flood, driving an army of rats into town, where they would devour all they could. Sounds like a great vacation spot, huh? I'm not saying I'd like to go to summer home here, but the trees are actually quite lovely. The only bright light for Tesla in Karlovac were his studies. He was particularly taken by a favorite physics professor, Martin Sekulich, who amazed Tesla with clever and original experiments and apparatus in the lab. Among these, I recall a device in the shape of a freely rotatable bulb with tinfoil coating, Tesla recounts, which was made to spin rapidly when connected to a static machine. It is impossible for me to convey an adequate idea of the intensity of feeling I experienced in witnessing his exhibitions of these mysterious phenomenon. Every impression produced a thousand echoes in my mind. I wanted to know more of this wonderful force. I longed for experiment and investigation, and resigned myself to the inevitable with aching heart. What was the inevitable, you ask? The clergy. During all those years, Tesla wrote, my parents never wavered in their resolve to make me embrace the clergy, the mere thought of which filled me with dread. It's unclear what Tesla's exact beliefs were about Christianity at this point. Certainly, if you think back to his meat machine automaton theory, he seems a hard materialist, believing only in the world that our senses and our reason can deduce. While I'm not a believer in the orthodox sense, Tesla told the reporter many years later, I commend religion, first, because every individual should have some ideal, religious, artistic, scientific, or humanitarian, to give significance to his life. Second, because all the great religions contain wise prescriptions relating to the conduct of life, which hold good now as they did when they were promulgated. There is no conflict between the ideal of religion and the ideal of science, but science is opposed to theological dogmas because science is founded on fact. Me, the universe is simply a great machine which never came into being and never will end. The human being is no exception to the natural order. Man, like the universe, is a machine. It's worth noting here, and as we'll discuss in later episodes, these kinds of beliefs put Tesla outside the mainstream of not just Christian, but also scientific orthodoxy. Whatever his thoughts on religious dogma, Tesla would also stubbornly reject the scientific consensus about atomic theory, the Big Bang, and Einstein's theory of relativity to his dying day. 
Tesla was one meat machine who was clearly his own man. And yet there are times elsewhere in his work when he seems to leave open the possibility of belief in forces beyond our worldly senses. On a number of occasions, he invokes God as the source of creation and the source of man's own faculties. He befriended famed Hindu monk Swami Vivekananda during the Guru's tour of the United States in the 1890s, and there is evidence in Tesla's own writing that some of his thinking regarding electricity and fundamental physical principles was influenced by the Vedic philosophy he first learned from Vivekananda. However, in the spring of 1873, regardless of what he believed, Tesla was dreading the prospect of the Orthodox priesthood. His professor's example had tipped the scales for Tesla. He wanted to devote his life to electrical experimentation. He finished the four-year program at the Higher Real Gymnasium in three years, due partly to his natural intelligence, partly to his intense enthusiasm for the work, and no doubt partly to get away from these stifling living conditions at his aunt's house. He knew he couldn't be satisfied in any other field. His mind was made up. He had found his vocation. All that remained was to convince his father. Next time, we'll see Nikola and his father enter into a conspiracy to help young Tesla avoid military service and learn how a brush with death finally persuaded Tesla's father to let his son follow his electrical dreams. As I mentioned last time, if you're enjoying the show, there are a few things you can do to help make it a success. First, spread the word. Tell a friend. Someone you know who loves podcasts, or who likes history, or who has an interest in Tesla and who you think would enjoy finding out more about his life. This goes for social media too. You can follow us on Facebook or find me on Twitter, both places where I'll be posting about the show and about other interesting Tesla-related things I happen across, and be sure to let your networks know that you love the show. And second, go to iTunes, rate the show, and leave a review. The more ratings and reviews we get in iTunes, the more seriously the algorithms take the show, and the more likely we are to pop up in the top recommendations in a given week. iTunes is the way something like 80% of podcast listeners get their shows, so if we can get enough reviews to pop up organically in the new and noteworthy section of the iTunes podcast store, then hopefully lots of people who might not otherwise encounter the show will have the chance to see it and subscribe. And if you get your podcasts somewhere other than iTunes, then please, please leave a rating and review there. I think more and more people are starting to access podcasts through places like Stitcher or Google Play, so ratings there will help boost the show even more through those apps. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tesla, The Life and Times. All past episodes, as well as show notes, can be found on our website, www.teslapodcast.com. You can sign up there for our email list with updates and alerts about the show, links to articles, and other stuff related to Tesla, his life, and times. As I mentioned, I've just set up a page for the show on Facebook, so you can like us there, and you can also always contact me directly via email at tesla at kotowich.com. That's K-O-T-O-W-Y-C-H dot com. Or on Twitter with the handle at Our Man Kato. That's Our Man K-O-T-O. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Kotowich.